You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and find John chapter 18. Um, I want to encourage you as we leave today, I know sometimes a lot of us use the same entrance and exit when we come and go, Uh, but I did ask Ron if he would to set up a table out there. He's very involved with that that ministry that is helping uh, children all over the world, and if that is something, I want to encourage you to go by there and see that information and pray about it. Also, you'll notice... uh, with Ron, he mentioned that he had written most of that stuff that he has uh, sung and led us today, and he's got some of that music available. Uh, Ron and I met in, uh, gosh, January uh, 1999 in North Vernon, Indiana. Uh, he had to ask for permission because he's not Baptist. He doesn't know what we do and don't do uh, with the clapping and the, and the country singing. He was a Christian church pastor in town, and uh, I was the only Southern Baptist pastor in town, and Phil Edwards was the Nazarene pastor in town. Back then, we were the young guys in town, but that was 20 years ago. And, and Ron is a dear, dear friend, and, and uh, that many years ago in a community, we decided, you know what, we've got our, our differences that we really believe in, and we don't, we don't mind sitting around and talking about what we believe, but we decided we could do a lot more together in the kingdom uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ in North Vernon. So it's been neat to see what Ron is doing now. Uh, just for information's sake, he's at East Columbus Christian Church now in Columbus, Indiana. If anybody ever has had a coming engine in their truck, that is the national headquarters for coming. And so he pastors there, and they have a Christian school there and doing some neat things there, and he is a dear friend. So please, as we leave today, he is headed north to the villages this afternoon, so um, I'm going to ask him even in advance, head on out that way when we're through. Go by there and introduce yourself to Ron, look at his songs, and pick up some information there uh, about those young folks. So take your Bible, John chapter 18. We've been walking through uh, the gospel uh, of John. Um, I don't want you to be nervous. I know what time it is. Uh, you're already doing the math, aren't you? You all said, well, I know how long he normally preaches. Don't, don't be nervous. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, we're going to talk about the Lord being in control, but I'm in control. I got it. Uh, you know, so often as a pastor... When you're doing sermon prep, you get to a a passage of scripture and you're almost so familiar with it that if you're not careful, you just kind of, kind of skim through it. And as you take John chapter 18 and you begin to divide it up, we've got the garden, they go to the garden, they get the arrest, you, you almost want to go through something kind of quickly because you know what's coming next and the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion. But I want us to take some time this morning, look at those first 11 verses. And I want us to think about how special 
that garden is. You know, there's, there's not a, a day that goes by just as a pastor. Now, I'm just speaking as a pastor, but I also could speak just being a, a person. But just as a pastor, from a pastoral standpoint, there's really not a, a couple of days that do not go by that I am encouraging and ministering to someone about their life. Something that they are going through, a decision they need to make, a future uh, endeavor that you're not really sure about. You know, and something I've, I've realized too, 20 years ago as a young pastor in ministry, I was kind of concerned about my future and, and raising children and decisions. But you know what? I'm 52 years old now. You know what I'm still concerned about? My future, my children, my grandchild, all these things. There's not, a, there's not a day goes by that we look at life and we question and we wonder and we are honestly concerned about what does tomorrow hold? Well, I want to encourage you today. We don't have to worry or wonder because Jesus Christ went to the garden and he left it. Take your Bible, John chapter 18, verse one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across to Kidron Valley where there was a garden, which he and his disciples, they entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met with his disciples. And so Judas, having procured a, a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, he went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, in verse 4, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. Don't miss that. Knowing all that would happen to him, he came forward. And he said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Those are three words that will be worth just circling in your Bible this morning. I am he. Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, he, he drew back. They, excuse me, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. And so he asked him of them again, whom do you seek? And Jesus said, and Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. And this will fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Of those whom you have gave me. What a wonderful promise. I have not lost one. Then Simon Peter, don't you just love Simon Peter? Let's just act and think without thinking, I should say. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, he drew it and he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear in the servant's name with Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Lord, what precious word for us this morning that you have, would be willing that you did drink the cup that your Father gave to you. 
And Lord, that allows us to be here this morning to sing and to hear songs of the faith and to open up your word and to hear from you and to hear the life-changing message and the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ that we might know you and the power of your death, burial, and your resurrection that we might live accordingly. Lord Jesus, thank you for going and thank you for leaving that garden. And this we pray in your name. Amen. Three things, the place, the people, the purpose. The place, the Garden of Gethsemane. If you look at a map, it would be east of the, of the city of Jerusalem and the Kidron Valley and the brook of Kidron would have been uh, running through there. They would have, have crossed over there and gone into uh, the garden. If we think about the garden, as we think about uh, Jesus Christ and, and who he was and how the Old Testament fulfills who Christ was and how there's so many pictures of the Christ in the Old Testament that Christ fulfills. Think about this. In the Old Testament, Leviticus teaches us that that sin offering, so we think about Jerusalem, think about the map. The sin offering would have been offered, Leviticus teaches us, but it says take that sin offering outside the city. It's not by coincidence, chance, or luck that Jesus is outside the city as the sin offering. David is a picture of the king that is to come. And we see in, in the Old Testament that David was being pursued by his enemies and he would have crossed over this same brook of Kidron and he would have passed through probably exactly geographically this same location. And we see King David pursued by his enemies and he goes to the brook Kidron through the garden. And we see King Jesus coming out of the garden to meet his enemies. All the, the pictures of the, of the Old Testament Messiah are always fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The first Adam, the last Adam, King David, the king from the lineage of David. All of these types are fulfilled in the New Testament in Christ. It's no accident that the place they went was the Garden of Gethsemane. He was not hiding he went for a purpose. I want to keep sharing this too. He went because he was in absolute and total control of the affairs of that day. One of the commentators that I was reading this week and, and, and studying and thinking about that, he talked much about the, the place, the garden, and what the garden meant to Christ. The text talked about that the disciples in Christ had been there before. Judas knew that they were going to come there. And often the garden was a place for Christ alone and Christ and his disciples. It was a place of prayer. It was a place where Christ would have communed with the Father throughout the story of the Gospels alone and then with the disciples. It 
It was a place of rest that the disciples in Jesus would have entered into throughout the course of the ministry just to have rest. It would have been a, a place of fellowship that the disciples in Christ would have gone to for intimacy and knowledge and for Christ to just pour his life into his disciples. And we see this place, this special place, not only for Christ, but Christ and his disciples. But it's also the place of his arrest. As we've gone through these last couple of chapters in, in the Gospel of John, and as we've gone from the upper room to the priestly prayer, all of these verses, all of the words to the disciples in the upper room, all of the words lifted up to the Father in prayer have appointed to this arrest that he would take the cup of the Father and go to the cross for the redemption of mankind. Oh, what a place. What a place to consider that garden. But we also don't need to forget about those in, involved. As I, I read that, we have Jesus naturally, total control. If you think about beginning in the Gospels, I believe when Jesus went to be baptized, he, he came out of that, when he went to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist, he knew exactly what he was doing, exactly when he needed to do it, exactly how he needed to do it. And literally you could say, when he came up out of that water and he was living his earthly ministry, from that day forward, he called his disciples and he was literally headed to the cross. He was literally, think about it from this standpoint. Every time he went to the garden to pray throughout the Gospels, every time he went to the garden to rest, every time he went to the garden for fellowship, every time he went to that place, he knew this day awaited him. That he was going to the garden for our sin so that our sins may be forgiven. He has went to the garden so that we may be clothed with his righteousness, that he would do on that cross what he knew we could never do and that he would be the only one that could do it. Verse four reminds us that knowing all these things would happen, we see Jesus in total control with a plan of redemption. All of his earthly life boils down to these last few days and these last few hours. Notice there in verse four, when they were coming to him, did he, did he cower? Did he hide? Did he hesitate? No, where David, the King David, was running from his enemies. We see Jesus there in verse four, knowing all that would happen to him. He knew what was about to happen to him. He knew who was coming. He knew how many were coming. Who knew the names of everyone that was coming. He knew where he was going when he left there. And notice what it said. He came forward to them. You could almost say it this way. He came forward for us. Jesus was in that garden. His disciples were with him. 
The 11 disciples, they were, they were with their Lord. And, and sometimes we look at the disciples, and even I have to remind myself, they didn't have full revelation of what was going on. But you know what? They loved Jesus Christ. They hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit like we had. Christ had not died on the cross yet. You know, their, their sins have not been atoned for yet. But they were with their Savior, and they loved Jesus Christ. And you know what? He loved them. I thought about that. You know, when I read the Bible, somebody years ago gave me a a little devotional and it it had scripture verses and and it would insert your name. They went in, I guess you you call the people and give them your name and it gives you the scripture verses and it puts your name in there. And so as you read scripture verses, it makes it real personal. For God so loved John Beck that he, you know, it's really, really a, a great little, little personal thing. Have you ever thought about how unperfect the disciples were? The thing about Christ here, he knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. He knew that the second that he was arrested, all those right there close to him would scatter. He knew the days ahead what the response would be for the disciples. He knew that they were not perfect, but he knew they never would be perfect. But he knew that he was. And notice what he says to the the soldiers. You cannot have these. All that have been given to me, I have kept. The disciples were there with Jesus because they loved Jesus, but the disciples were there with Jesus because he loved them. I jokingly say I'm not only John the Baptist, I'm John the Peter slash Baptist. Act before you think. Say before you pray about it. Do, do, do before you wait, wait, wait. But aren't you glad that Jesus loves you? Because you have repented of your sin and you've placed your faith in Christ. Don't miss the relationship with Jesus and his in the garden. We see Peter draw the sword. I'll I'll interject this now while it is on my mind. We see Peter draw the sword. And again, Peter's just being Peter. And Jesus said, put that sword up. Because this is a spiritual battle. And you don't need to fight it. I'm going to fight it. Then we have Judas. What a picture. I don't know where I read this. I, when, I, when I study for a text, I have all kind of stuff out there. I'm putting word studies and commentaries and Bibles and stuff. But somewhere, I forgot to, I always think I'm going to remember who said it, but I don't. A commentator said this, what a picture of depravity. If we don't think that man is sinful and fallen and short of the glory of God, insert Judas supposedly lived his life, his last few years with Christ, had in in the upper room with Christ, saw the miracles of Christ, saw all of these things and was the one that betrayed Christ. I wrote this down in the margin. He was with them, but just a few hours ago, 
He was with him. He was with them. But just a few hours ago, he was with him. I wonder how many of us struggle with that. People struggling with their assurance of salvation, whether or not they're truly born again or not, because they can be with him, but they love to be with them. We say we love him, we acknowledge who Christ is, but we would much rather be in the world and live world according to what we think it ought to be. Judas's problem was not in believing who Jesus was. Jesus was not the Judas, Jesus was not the, the savior that Judas wanted. There's nothing wrong with Judas. Judas doesn't need his sins forgiven. Judas doesn't need to bow his knee to a savior. Judas wanted a savior that would give him everything he wanted. Judas wanted a savior that would make him prominent. Judas wanted a savior that would deliver the Jews from the Roman bondage. Judas did not want a savior that would suffer on a cross for his sin. We don't get the privilege of making Christ in our own image. They did that in the Old Testament. That didn't go off very well. We have the soldiers. I, I had forgotten this. Do you know how many soldiers were there? Hundreds. Some people said up to a six or seven hundred. The lowest number I could find, I don't know how we know these things, was two or three hundred. You made it two or three hundred people coming out to arrest Christ? Marching out of the city with lanterns and weapons and here's Christ waiting on them and coming forward to them. And then we have the religious leaders that he had been battling throughout the whole gospel. Blind leading the blind. Not acknowledging who Christ is. Now we see the purpose. Why the garden? Why are they here? Why not? You? Why all of this? If you notice from the text, it's to fulfill the will of the Father. To finish what it is that he came to do. Notice verse 11, second part of verse 11. He tells Peter, put your sword up. This isn't a, a physical battle. Peter, this is a spiritual battle. Put the sword up. Notice what he says. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given to me? Peter, I know you don't understand. I know this looks horrible. I know this looks terrible. This is the Father's will for me. Let me give you some quick background on John's gospel here. Matthew, Mark, Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They were written a little earlier and they have the same kind of flow to it. The synoptic gospels are, are kind of flowing the same way. They mention all the parables and different things, but they're, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are kind of written following the same flow of things. They're called the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels have the prayer scene in the garden. They have the suffering in the garden. They have the misery in the garden. John leaves that out. Do you notice that? 
John never mentions it. John would have been written later to a different audience. Uh, the book of Matthew would have been written to uh, the, the uh, Jewish citizens. The book of Mark would have been written to a Roman-type group. The book of Luke would have been written to Gentiles. They had their specific audiences, but they were telling the same type of message. John comes later, and he, he's conveying the same message with a different angle. He doesn't have the suffering. He doesn't have his Jesus weeping and, and asking the Father, your will, not my will. We don't see the suffering servant in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know who John portrays Jesus as? God in the flesh, full of dignity and glory. The scene was there earlier. John doesn't allow us to see that, which is fine. But we see Jesus Christ in all his dignity and all his power and all of his glory standing before hundreds of soldiers and Judas and Pharisees. And notice what he says. Where is Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am he takes us back to Exodus when Moses was standing at the burning bush and he says, I am the I am. This is what Jesus was saying. I am God. Now, I don't know how many of you picked up on this. I'm not saying you couldn't. Verse seven, they said to him, they answered him, who have you come to seek? Verse four, verse five. Who have you come to seek? And they said to him, Jesus of Nazareth. So here's Jesus, 200 plus, two to 500 soldiers, Pharisees, religious leaders, Judas, disciples behind them, lanterns and torches everywhere. Who is it you come to seek? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. They fell to the ground. I am God. 200 soldiers fell to the ground. 500 soldiers, 600 soldiers fell to the ground. Why? They knew he was God. Jesus said in the triumphant entry, if these people do not worship me, the rocks will cry out. Can you imagine the, the, can you imagine the disciples just a few days, 40 plus days later, Jesus is dead, buried, roots, fired, rose again, the spirit comes. Can you imagine Peter and John hanging out like Ron and John used to hang out? It would have been Probably would have been John that got it first. Peter would have been too rash and everything. That's why they fell to the ground. He is God. Think about that. Jesus is showing all of humanity this is God's plan. This is God's will. This is God's agenda. It doesn't matter what Judas thinks. It doesn't matter what the Pharisees think. It doesn't matter what's going on in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter what's going on in, in the Roman Empire. It doesn't matter what's going on in all creation at that given time. Jesus is saying, I am 
God. They brought torches and lights to search for the light of the world. They brought weapons to subdue the Prince of Peace. They came seeking a criminal only to find the Savior of mankind. He came out of the edge of that garden beholding his majesty and his power. They fell to the ground. Again, he asked, who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Again, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, you let these men go. He tells Peter, so shall I now drink the cup that the Father has given me. And the band of soldiers, verse 12, and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus, bound him, and they led him away. I don't know what's going on in your world right now. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But Jesus Christ, he entered that special place and he left that special place because he is God. Ron led us in worship about grace. That is grace that he would love us so much that he would enter into that place and leave that place and go to that mock trial and that arrest and that beating and that scourging and that cross so that we may have life. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior this morning? Not to make light of anything, but... The Romans knew who Jesus was. The Pharisees knew who Jesus was. Jesus, Judas knew who Jesus was. But did they really know who Jesus was? He is God. He is the only one that can forgive us of our sin. That's what he was telling the Pharisees throughout the gospel. I am the only one that can make propitiation for your sin. The law does nothing. The law points toward me. I am the Savior. I am your Lord. Do you know Christ today? Have you thought about that garden today? Let's stand as we pray. In an attitude of prayer, I want to share one last thing as we are entering into a time of prayer. I came across this list from A.W. Pink this week. As we think on these things, as we pray. In Eden, all was delightful. In Gethsemane, it was all terrible. In Eden, Adam and Eve parlayed with Satan. In Gethsemane, in the garden, the last Adam sought the face of the Father. In Eden, Adam sinned. In Gethsemane, the Savior suffered. In Eden, Adam fell. In Gethsemane, the Redeemer conquered. 
The conflict in Adam took place by day. The conflict in Gethsemane was waged at night. In the one Adam, in the one Adam fell before Satan. In the other Adam, Christ, the soldiers fell before him. In Eden, the race was lost. In this garden, Christ announced, of them who thou givest me, I have lost none. In Edom, Adam took the fruit from Eve's hand. In this garden, Christ received the cup from his father's hand. In Edom, Adam hid himself. In this garden, Christ boldly showed himself. In Eden, God sought Adam. In this garden, the last Adam sought God. From Eden, Adam was driven. From this garden, Christ was led. In Eden, the sword was drawn. And in this our garden, the sword was sheathed. Lord, we thank you for the garden this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you came and you lived this perfect life so that you may be in this garden to be arrested, to be tried, to be crucified, so that you may die on an old rugged cross, so that you would pay the penalty of our sins and that our sins may be forgiven, so that you would be buried and you would be raised again and exalted to the right hand of the Father and interceding for us as our mediator, Lord. And then we are clothed with your righteousness because of that sinless sacrifice. Lord God, we thank you, Christ, for going to that garden. Lord, let us see what new life is all about this morning. As we sing yet again as your people, let us consider where it is we stand in relationship with you. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.